Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Dr. Rowan Maida is a pathologist at Upstate who offers consults with patients who are facing a cancer diagnosis because lab reports can be difficult to understand. He'll also be studying the impact of this consult service on the patient's care journey. Dr. Rowan Maida is an assistant professor of pathology at Upstate and the medical director of pathology and clinical pathology at the community campus, and he's here to explain how this will work, along with Alexandra Tatarian, who's a third-year medical student who works with Dr. Maida. Welcome both of you to The Informed Patient. Hi, good afternoon. Thank you for having us. It seems like it's becoming more and more common for patients to see the results of blood work or lab tests before their doctors do. And I'd like to ask each of you whether you think this is a good thing. Dr. Maida, you can recall a time when patients never saw reports and had to wait until the next appointment with their doctor to learn the results of tests. Have things changed for the better? So I think with the initiation of my chart where patients can, are able to look at the results before seeing their clinician, there's pros and cons to that. On one side, I think it's good because the patients are able to get the information where it may take some time for the clinician to give it to them, whether it be lab work, et cetera. However, on the flip side, if there is a, um, a diagnosis that may not be uh, a positive one, i.e. if it's a cancer diagnosis, in some senses, that may not work to people's benefit because they get it, and then they'll have to wait some time before they see the clinician, and obviously the anxiety that that brings along is not the best thing. Ms. Tatarian, you're of a generation growing up that expects all of this information to be available ASAP, even though not everyone can make sense of a pathology report. Is it helpful to have access to what can be confusing or anxiety-provoking? I think it's certainly important that patients, when they receive all this information instantaneously, have somewhere to go for interpretation, um, especially if they won't hear from their clinician. And sometimes they may not get a full explanation from their clinician um, of what the report actually means. There's a lot of detail that goes with the pathology report. And so this service offers opportunity for patients to really sit down and take the time to go through the report line by line if they want and really understand what is behind just the diagnosis the clinician might share with them. So this is an interesting project that you're working on here. Are professional pathologist organizations offering solutions or things like this? Are you aware of any efforts that are underway? Well, it's funny you say that because actually um, the president of the College of American Pathologists, which is a, a renowned um, organization for pathologists, came across our consultation service on Twitter. So he reached out to us and he is a big advocate of, you know, patients and pathologists being consultants. And he reached out to us after reading our, our unique program and he featured our facility in the archives of pathology, which is a uh, prestigious journal. And he seems to really want to move forward with having pathologists as consultants. That's interesting. Ms. Tatarian, I want to ask you with three years of medical school under your belt, do you feel confident that you could decipher any sort of pathology report yourself? I've certainly studied a lot in the last three years, and I didn't realize how much learning medicine would be like learning a foreign language. So I would feel comfortable at least understanding what the words in the paper mean. 
but in terms of their interpretation for the patient's prognosis and the clinical context of what the treatment plan would be, I think that would be something that would be in my residency where I would figure out um, the full meaning. So I think it also just goes to show how much training it takes to truly and fully understand the pathology report. Right. And the importance of what Dr. Maida began a few years ago, you started offering patients with breast cancer assistance with making sense of pathology reports after they had a biopsy or a surgical procedure. And are you now expanding that to other types of cancer? Well, we'd like to, you know, we, we try to put it out there, but, you know, during COVID, it kind of halted um, because, you know, a lot of people were not able to come into the hospital. So, you know, it kind of took a hiatus. And, and now with the help of Alex, we're trying to get the word out to all clinicians. Alex has reached out to a lot of the clinicians with emails saying, you know, we're offering this service. Um, it'd be great to have, you know, more people. So just to, to show them how, how informative it can be and how helpful it can be. Yes, we would like to offer it to all types of patients. And I think there's a move for pathologists to be seeing patients, you know, because pathologists serve as clinical consultants to all healthcare professionals. And now we're beginning to do it. It should be expanded to patients and their family to answer specific questions and to help bridge the gap in their understanding of laboratory tests and pathology. And going off that, we've met with a number of oncologists and radiation oncologists at Upstate, as well as even a breast cancer support group and talked to patients directly. And part of what we're trying to figure out is when is the best time to set up this meeting in a patient's treatment course and just kind of get, get people involved, but at the right time when they're ready to process the report. So is this mostly patients who are getting their care from Upstate? As of this point, it is, but I mean, I, I would, wouldn't mind seeing patients from anywhere. Again, the main thing is, even if they don't understand the jargon per se, what we're saying, we can try to explain it to them in, you know, in layman's terms. It's so good for them to see what they're fighting against. And that's to me is the main thing. Some of the patients we've seen, you know, it's mainly they see it and then they can wrap their head around it. That's how I like to put it. Some people actually are more informed than you would believe. They, they get on Google. And they'll, you know, they come in here and they ask me all these terminologies. I'm like, wow, did you go to med school? They're like, no, you know, I just Googled it. <laughs> That's pretty exciting that they can do that these days. So I wanted to understand how this works. And I know that COVID changed some things, but ideally you want to work with these people in person, face to face. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. I feel that that's the best way to do it. You know, it's just something that's not as personal if you're doing it online or on a TV I think when they're there and see them in the eyes, they can ask questions and, you know, body mechanics that you can work off of that. Sometimes you, if you start talking about something and you can sense that they're not really comfortable, you can kind of back off a little bit and, you know, and sometimes they can come with their significant others or their family members and that makes it much easier for them. I was also fortunate to attend one of these sessions with a patient. And it was really powerful for them to just hold the microscope slide in their hands and realize that was the outcome of this biopsy procedure they went through and kind of see the whole process and then see the slide under the microscope just puts everything together for them. Now, what are you doing in terms of studying the impact of this service on a cancer patient's journey? Do you have a clinical trial underway? I'll let Alex answer that one. So we recently received IRB approval to study the impact and how we're doing that is with a survey afterwards that the patients can fill out just questions gauging whether or not they thought it was helpful 
um, whether or not they feel more comfortable with their treatment plan and just understanding their diagnosis. And we're also trying to figure out what cancer severity levels patients might feel more inclined or less inclined to have this consultation because if it's and not as good as a prognosis, it might be something that people don't want to see under the microscope per se, but we're just trying to figure out exactly what patients might find it the most helpful. And you mentioned IRB, that's the Institutional Review Board, but can you explain to our listeners what that is? Yes, it is an organization at Upstate, and I think most institutions around the country have it, and you basically put in an application saying all the data that you'll be studying because you need permission to go into patient charts to see what diagnoses they have and just make sure that people are okay with how the research is being done, just making sure it's clear what we're studying, how we're studying it, and what our goals are. So also making sure that we are, you know, there's a lot of HIPAA regulations and this and that. Collecting their data, we need to make sure that we have their permission and know what and what we cannot look at in their chart. Because a lot of this is kind of gathering information from the charts, educational status, socioeconomic class, all these things. Because it's so novel, it's never been done. Maybe there is a certain genre of patients that would be more inclined, as, as Alex was pointing to, to come see us. And some may say, you know what, I don't want to. And that's why I think breast cancer patients have this camaraderie that I have not seen. You know, you have all this, you know, the pink ribbons and these things that a lot of other cancer patients, you don't see as much of anymore. I think that 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 pendulum is swinging the other way and they're starting to do that. But it's good to just gather this information and maybe, you know, we can see if there's some sort of trend that we can utilize to get other patients to come in. And this will help you determine whether this is making a difference for people. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, that that's what was our goal, to make sure that people are, you know, making, you know, making sense of their pathology. Just looking at what research is already out there, there's really not that much on this type of service. There's very few programs even around the country that will offer pathology consultations. And when the published papers that we've seen so far have very small patient pools, maybe around 20 or 30 patients. And I know Dr. Maynard's already met with Many, many more than that. We're hoping to get even more patients. Um, we're welcoming all patients who want to come review their pathology reports. And the more information we have, the stronger our understanding of this this service's impact will be. Yeah, I think we've seen now about 61 patients thus far, which in, according to the president-elect of the College of American Pathology is the most in the country. And now we've, we've sent out um, these, these questionnaires to these patients after we had the IRB approval. And we've gotten a lot of feedback already and that the president of the CAP said he wants to, you know, collaborate with us and put this in a national spectrum to maybe galvanize other pathologists around the country to, you know, consider utilizing this as a form of treatment, if you will. How would you advise someone if they're listening to this and, and they'd like to connect with a pathologist for some help understanding their report? Um, do you have a website or a way for them to reach out to you? We do, actually, on, on the Upstate Pathology website. Right now, it's just gauged towards breast cancer patients. So you go under patients and patient care, there's a link to us. We also have a, a pamphlet that we have um, that is created, and Alex is, has been kind enough to go around the cancer center and put it around to other clinicians. So people can get more exposure to it. I think the thing about it, people would like it if they knew about it. Because it's such a novel thing, nobody really 
knows that they can see it. And the other thing about it, we offer this completely free of charge. There's no charge to it. It's mainly for the benefit of the patient. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Upstate pathologist Dr. Rowan Maida and third-year medical student Alexandra Tatarian about how pathologists can help patients understand their pathology reports. Now, let's simplify, if we can, what types of information a patient can expect to find on a pathology report if they went for a tissue biopsy to find out whether they have cancer? What, what sorts of things would they expect to see on the report? So depending on the type of neoplasm or non-neoplasm we see, there can be a, a numerous things that can be on it. So it, we have a gross description. So let's say for a biopsy, we describe exactly what's coming out in the patient. For instance, if it's just a biopsy of a, a lesion, it'll say, you know, small piece of tissue, give dimensions and the, uh, the dimensions of it and the color, the texture. And then from there, we have a final diagnosis, what, what we see under the microscope whether it be a neoplasm such as a carcinoma or whether it's just something benign, like chronic inflammation. For big resection specimens, it gets a little bit more complicated. Um, we have, you know, describe what the neoplasm is, whether it's a carcinoma or a sarcoma. We describe what it looks like under the microscope, which is called a microscopic description. And then we have what's called a synoptic, synoptic report, which the oncologist can use determine margin status, meaning is the tumor completely excited? Is there any residual tumor? We have certain amino histochemical stains that we can use to help us um, determine, you know, how, how aggressive it can be. Nowadays, there's something called targeted therapy. So certain stains we can use, for, for instance, in breast cancer, her 2 neuro herceptin uh, utilization is due to a stain of her 2 so they can gather a lot of information. Some of it is mainly meant for the surgeon and the oncologist, but the patient obviously sees it, so they may have questions on it. But it, it all depends on what type of neoplasm it is, what part of the body it's from. The, these reports can actually offer a ton of, ton of information. Now, you use the word tumor, and I'm pretty sure that can either be cancerous or not. But what does the word neoplasm mean? Is that a synonym for tumor? Or it is that... a synonym for, for tumor. I mean, neoplasm is something that, that doesn't really belong there, if you will. Tumor is a growth of tissue. Are there words that are reassuring that a person might see on their pathology report? I mean, the word benign, does that mean you don't have cancer anywhere? It means you do not have cancer. Okay. It means benign. It is not a neoplastic, no, nothing malignant. Um, other words such as chronic inflammation, as long as they don't see, and then we will delineate it in our report, saying if it is something that's a malignancy, it will be very obvious to the patient. And you were talking about like with breast cancers, you can tell a lot about whether they're hormone, if they're fueled by hormones or not. Are you seeing a lot of use of the genetic testing for breast tumors, the oncogene and that type of stuff? Absolutely, yes, we do. We are the um, oncotype score. Um, foundation medicine is something we use. Nowadays, this targeted therapy, you can get the genetics of a tumor, and some of these tumors may express certain receptors that oncologists can utilize to form what's called targeted therapy. And that is, is going to revolutionize cancer treatment. I think we're just in the infancy of this, and down the line, it's going to be 
I think it's going to be the new wave of medicine. You get a piece of tissue, put it into a machine, get the genetics of it, and then we can say how to treat the patient. But that's a whole nother level of confusion for a patient trying to understand what does that tell me? All right, it's confusing for me not being a molecular pathologist too. That's why I see pathology is great because we have, it's such a teamwork. It's not like one pathologist doesn't do everything. Everyone has their specialty. Here in Upstate, we have a, a phenomenal cancer center and phenomenal molecular genetics and everybody here, we work together. And that's why this group approach is why I love this institution. The other institutions, they'll send things out and they'll have you know, other institutions working with the same patient. In our place, we have everyone is in one area. That I think is what's great about Upstate. Now, what if a patient has several samples taken in a single biopsy? I'm thinking about prostate biopsies where they take a bunch of different samples at once. And some of them say, you know, cancerous and some of them say benign. How does a patient make sense of all of that collectively? Specifically with prostate, they, they take biopsies from different areas of the prostate. If one of them says cancer, then you have cancer. Some areas may not, it may not be as diffuse as, you know, it could be, but if there's one or two biopsies, it's certain parts of the prostate that say it's carcinoma, then you have carcinoma. So you are, um, have a malignancy. Now, what additional kinds of information would a person be looking for if they already had a biopsy that detected cancer, and then they went for surgery to have the mass removed, what sorts of things would they look for on that report? I think the main thing that they will look for is how high grade or low grade it may be. Um, the, the main thing for everybody is that make sure that the, the tumor is completely out or the carcinoma. That's, that's margin status is the biggest thing. And from there, there's other entities that's put in the report, again, such as hormone receptor status or certain stainings that may indicate that they can utilize a targeted therapy. Those are the main things for a patient that would be important for them to know. Other things like from a pathology perspective, like how uh, proliferating it is, that's nothing that the patient really, in my opinion, wouldn't really doesn't need to know about because they have enough to deal with and know about all these little semantic living. So, you know, the main thing is, 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 is it out? Is it a high grade or low grade? And the biggest thing is, has it metastasized anywhere? And that's a, a, a you know, a big factor, which, which, which most people know about when they think about cancer and has it met anywhere or not? Is it localized or is it diffused? Well, how hard is it to tell whether it has metastasized because there's not like a full body scan that you can do that'll tell you that the person doesn't have cancer anywhere, is there? Well, actually, there is. So we use it's called the PET scan, and that doesn't necessarily tell you that it's diffused, but if you have a high PET uptake in certain areas in the context of a cancer, then the oncologist or surgeon or interventional radiologist will, you know, biopsy those areas to make sure that there is not a metastasis there. But yes, you are correct in the sense it's not a clear cut. The last line of defense, the definitive diagnosis is a tissue diagnosis. Uh, Radiology plays a big role in this. They see a mass that looks very aggressive, that's eating away at the bone cortex, for instance. Then you can pretty much presume that this may be a metastasis. But until you get the biopsy of it and see the tissue under the microscope, um, you really can't tell. But 
there are some building jig studies and I'm sure in the future there'll be other things now that we'll be able to tell how far of that. There's blood tests that you know you can utilize certain blood tests that can tell you if it's high, is that an indication that this may be and that's how they monitor a lot of tumors and patients that are undergoing treatment. They will use blood tests to determine it. Has this level gone down or has it gone up in the context of radiation and chemotherapy? So instead of keep putting the patient through biopsies and biopsies, they can utilize blood tests to be able to tell that. Well, it occurs to me that the majority of patients never meet the pathologists who are analyzing their tissue samples. So I wanted to give listeners kind of a description of what a pathologist is and what their training is. Um, Ms. Tatarian, what attracted you to this field? That is correct, that many patients do not meet their pathologist. And even as a medical student, when I tell peers who are not in medicine what I'm interested in, and that's pathology, they haven't heard of it, which is interesting because pathologists do play such a key role in the hospital. And what I love about the specialty is that you're problem solving all the time. You're coming up with diagnoses, looking under the microscope, seeing exactly what's going on. And you're able to describe that and communicate it to the doctors who will be giving treatments. Um, so I think it's exciting to be able to figure out what's happening, look at the cells directly. And so you do the four years of medical school and, and then a pathology residency, and then maybe fellowships on top of that. Is that right? That's correct. And typically the pathology residency is three to four years and then a fellowship and maybe a specific part of the body like breast or hematology. But I think the more, once you get past medical school, it becomes more like a job and more learning. But I'm, I'm excited because I will get to do pathology more often as a resident than I get to do it as a medical student and just really learn in the field that you're interested in. Yeah, I mean, pathology is also such a constant growing field, like in the sense that, you know, you, you're you always learning, you're always reading and going to tumor boards. Like my specialty, for instance, is GI and I enjoy doing rest, but all my colleagues have other specialties and we go together to consensus conferences and you learn about it a lot. So some people have their love of a certain type of pathology. However, you know, you you can always learn more. That's the main thing. I think pathologists are no longer just a doctor's doctor. Pathologists should be become more re widely recognized as, as the patient's doctor, and like directly providing information and counseling to patients for their you know, clinical management and well-being. Well, before we wrap up, let me ask some advice for someone who's facing testing that has to do with cancer. Can they ask their doctor to see pictures of the tissue samples or the tissue sample itself? Will that help in any way? So, I mean, not not the pathologist, the actual clinician. Either, I guess. Although for most patients, they really are not likely to have access to the pathologist. Or can they ask to talk to the pathologist if they want to? Yeah, I mean, I like. I think this is why this uh, the, the galvanization of our uh, service because now they're able to ask. You know, I, I guess they can. I mean, I, I don't know how comfortable some clinicians may be to you know point out the histology having not gone to pathology residency. However, most doctors go through histology and pathology in medical school. So they do have, you know, a certain amount of knowledge of it. So they, they can probably point it out. But I, I think that um, I think pathologies obviously do a better job at that due to our experience. Do you think that trying to read the report is likely to be helpful or informative or, or confusing and frustrating? 
You know, it's weird because sometimes I've had patients come in here who have done their due diligence and have done research. That's what, you know, they, they call Google, right? Uh, sometimes Google is not a good thing because what happens is they go down this rabbit hole and, you know, and there's certain times people who have, they go to these forums and people, you know, they call misery loves company. So they'll make it sound so bad and it's really not as bad as it sometimes is. Um, so I, on one hand, it's good because, you know, it makes, how it helps them deal with it. On the other hand, it could get bad because, you know, they're getting these results on my chart. They haven't seen the clinician yet. They're getting on the internet, Googling all these things. And then their anxiety and cortisol level just shoots up because they, they don't know, you know, everything else about it until they see their clinician. So I guess there's pros and cons to that. How do you see the field expanding? Because it seems like information is just going to become more and more available uh, and more and more immediately. So do you think that services like the one that you're offering are going to become more common? I hope so. I do hope so, because at least the feedback that we've gotten, me and Alex have gone for, through a questionnaires, and that's been nothing but positive. It helps people. Now, the caveat to that, there's some people who do not want to know anything about it. They say, I have cancer, let me just get treated. I don't want to know about it. Let's just get it over with. Some people really want to know about it. I guess it all depends on the person. And as Alex has alluded to before, how severe the cancer is. If it's something that's not so bad, maybe they'll have, you know, more likely to come and see us or wanting to know about it. Well, I appreciate both of you making time for this interview. Thank you. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. My guests have been Dr. Rowan Maida an assistant professor of pathology at Upstate and the medical director of pathology and clinical pathology at the community campus, along with third-year medical student Alexandra Tatarian. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu slash informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.